Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. Raw and uncut, Jiggy Jag, you know how you do it. You know what I'm saying? Broadcasting live from Hutchinson, Kansas. Well, I'm sitting here with a linguist. I had no idea. (laughs) I I didn't know you were, but I didn't know that you were a wordsmith. (laughs) Call Jiggy right now. 267 22 Jiggy. Hey, Jiggy, what's happening, man? You must be that uh, David Bowie song. Jiggy play guitar. It's a great name, man. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Presenting. I'm, I'm Mike Massey, and uh, you know, you can catch me on Jiggy Jag TV and uh, see a few of my tricks up there. Thank you very much. Jiggy Jaguar. I never knew what freedom was until I saw you lose yours. Oh, we fired up on a Tuesday. It's hour number three of the world famous Jiggy Jaguar radio program. And uh, today we've got an interesting discussion, at least for the first segment here. Thanks for tuning in to the big broadcast from the KJAG Radio Studios in downtown Edison, Kansas. We're live as live can get. 2 Central, 3 Eastern, 12 Pacific, 1 PM Mountain Standard. And 24-7 at JiggyJaguar.com on the tune apps on Radio Loyalty. Our premium podcast is available for $5 a month, commercial-free, JiggyJaguar.info. Selected editions will appear on iHeartRadio. In fact, this edition will appear on iHeartRadio as well. 50-plus AM FM stations through the Jiggy Jaguar radio network. Our telephone number, 267-22-J-I-G-G-Y. And uh, if you want to get a hold of us on social media, do so. Jiggy Jaguar on Twitter and also on the Facebook, the Jiggy Jaguar. And um, Dan Perkins from thehill.com is with us today. Donald Mazzella will not join us. So the, for this first segment, we're going to talk to Dan for the whole hour. But for this first segment only, we've got the great Sonia Madison. She's agreed to stay over and uh, chat about the Iran situation. And um, first of all, I want to get um, Dan's thoughts on this. And then I'm going to let Sonia jump in there and we'll we'll bat this around here for about 15 minutes or so. Okay. Can you hear me, Sonia? I can hear you now. Good, good. We, we're having a little trouble with the break. Oh, uh, okay. So, what, what I, I've been doing a lot of interviews on this non-treaty treaty with um, the United States and the, and the, uh, the other parties and uh, P5 plus 1 with Iran, and uh, it's not a treaty sense of the American Constitution, where the American Constitution defines a treaty under Article 2, Section 2, Paragraph 2, is an agreement between nations that the president can execute, but it must be ratified by two-thirds of the Senate. So the president, I believe, decided that there was no way in hell he was going to be able to get two-thirds of the Senate to ratify any treaty with Iran. So he had to find an alternative. And the alternative, which I characterize it, and some att- some attorneys that I've talked to chuckle at it, but I basically call it a memorandum of understanding, because it doesn't carry the weight of law in the United States. And, Counselor, if I understand it correctly, the next president, if he or she does not like this memorandum of understanding, they, through executive order, can uh, withdraw America from the process and do whatever they want. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean that's how I see it. I mean, I, I do. I'm not surprised one that people are debating this, considering so many other things Obama has done to bypass the Senate or the Congress in general. But no, I mean I, I agree with you. This isn't a binding agreement. This is essentially a temporary, non-binding agreement within this administration. As soon as the administration, it could completely change. Yeah, so that the. This agreement. Uh, now, what what happens to this agreement? Uh, you know, you, you you mentioned the president, and in some of the shows I've been doing in the last week or so, 
uh, I say, you know, the president told us, the American people, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. And if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. And it's somewhere between 23 and 29 times he looked us straight in the eye and just basically lied to us. Now, what we have is in, in this, as we were discussing this agreement, we meaning Kerry and the other P5 plus one and the Iranian, the Iranian government, uh, the president uh, invoked Ronald Reagan in his discussions with Mikhail Gorbachev on uh, nuclear test ban treaty, and Reagan made the comment, uh, trust but verify. And the president told us, I, I haven't gone back and counted how many times, he used the same language of Ronald Reagan and said that we will have 24-7 verification of their compliance. Well, when it came down to it, when the agreement was finally finished, that didn't seem to be true. In fact, there are some areas of the Iranian nuclear program, detonators in specific, uh, this past weekend the IEA was turned away and not able to perform an inspection. So within two weeks of the agreement, they've already violated the agreement. Um, a president lied to us about verification. So my suspicious mind wonders what else he's lied to us about in this memorandum of understanding. You know, it's a 33-page document. I read it immediately after it. I could get access to it. Um, I don't advise anybody to try and read it because it's unreadable. Um, it's, it looks like something worse than lawyers would put together. Uh, and I've worked with lawyers for 40-some years in business. Uh, it's an unreadable document. You really don't understand, and it's hard to figure out what's going on, which leads me to believe that there are side agreements that are not part of this, or no attachment or amend, uh, 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 significant attachments that would discuss this. Um, as the document was, as you said, was an executive, is it really an executive or We've got the great uh, Sonia Madison with us today. Also, Dan Perkins. Dan, jump in there, my friend. Um, one of the things that, that bothers me is that the president, when he was negotiating with Congress, the review of the agreement, 
he told the Congress, part of the negotiations, that he would give them 60 in order to look at the document and vote it up or down. And then he would, he would uh, give it to the UN to pass or vote on. Well, what happened was, with a week after the agreement was signed, it was given to the UN, and I can't believe it was not given to the UN without the president's approval, and they voted on it uh, 15 to zero in favor of it. So what happens to the value of the Senate and Congress review if on a 15 to zero vote, the UN has already agreed to, to the terms and conditions of this agreement. I'm sorry, you were breaking up. What was the last thing you said? I said it was, what I'm saying was that if the if if we had a situation where the president promised the Congress that give them 60 days before he submitted that the agreement to the UN to vote it up or down, by the fact that he gave it to the the UN five days after it was signed, and then it was approved on a 15 to zero vote by the UN, what does, what's the value of the Congress discussing the document when it's already been approved 15 to zero by one, by the, by the UN? Well, and I think it's part of what we discussed earlier. I want to say legally, you know, I don't know if Congress is going to be able to go to the court and say we should dismantle this agreement or we should be able to knock it out because of some constitutional right. Because again, as we both agree, this isn't a treaty and so as well as within executive power to do so. Um, but, but if you're talking just about the value of Congress, I mean, one, as we both discussed earlier, one of the reasons why he decided to do it is because he knew he wasn't going to get the two-thirds votes. So the fact that it's not mm -hmm. a treaty means that it's not escalated to that level of, of weight that a treaty has over a non-binding agreement. So you, you don't still, I mean, Congress still becomes important because it doesn't have the necessary power the treaty does. If they had gone through Congress, then it would have been more of a substantial and more of a weight document that could go beyond his administration. But since he didn't, it right. doesn't carry the same weight. Um, but but also, you know, I, I did, for the next president or for the next administration, when you see what Congress has said about it, you know, hopefully that president or that administration will use it to determine whether to keep the non-binding agreement, uh, use it to executive or her executive powers to keep it in force, or um, whether to dismantle it altogether and, and try to come up with a treaty or work with Congress to decide what may be in a, in a more better interest and give the weight of the treaty to, to proceed on with the relations with these other countries. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want people to feel like Congress is having you because the president bypassed. I think, I think because he bypassed, he doesn't give this act the necessary weight that he probably would like it to have. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let me ask you a question as a as an employment attorney. This is a, this might be a little stretch, but but if you're if you're advising a, a corporation, a CEO or somebody in employment situation, uh, how important is it to articulate to that that client of yours about what else is going on within his his or her company that it may have an impact on employment? Well, and I'm sure because you've dealt with many attorneys, you already know what my answer is going to be. It's going to be depends on what, what it is that you're electing either to tell or, or not to tell. Um, one of the things that I try to my clients sometimes is, is you really do need to consider the weight of engaging. If you want to give employees an opportunity to engage, you allow them an opportunity to invest in your company. But if you want mm -hmm. to pretty much, you know, determine exactly what they're what they're going to do and give them not an opportunity to engage then i mean you still may have good employees that because a lot of times people do consider a job just as a job versus a career but they're right. not going to at least your turnover may be a little bit higher than if you try to engage them and so and i, and I guess if you're looking at the correlation i mean that is kind of what is happening to some degree i mean i think to some degree congress is not trying to engage in the Obama administration. I don't, I don't think they're necessarily, at least from my perspective, from what I've seen, 
they've butt heads on so many times that I think they're over engaging or trying to, yeah. to engage in, in what the administration is trying to do. And so if I have an employer who has a lot of employees that are, are either on strike or are refusing to negotiate or refusing to compromise on certain decisions, then I imagine at some point that employer wanted to, to take its executive power or its, its position to just make the decision for the company. Yeah. The reason why I ask you the question, Council, is that um, I, I have written a trilogy, a, a book on nuclear terrorism against the United States by Radic Islam uh, terrorist group. And I've, I've done a lot of speaking and a lot of research and stuff like that. And I'm looking at this agreement and I'm saying uh, two things stand out to me. One, he's negotiating with the government of Iran, which is um, Shia Muslims, which represent approximately 13% of the total Muslim faith. In fact, the two largest Shia Muslim countries in the world are Iran and Iraq. The other part of the religion is made up of Sunnis. The Sunnis uh, uh, live all over the world, but Arabia and Egypt and Jordan and Kuwait are all Sunni nations. I find it unbelievable that in, in, in putting together a coalition of the P5 plus one to discuss the the in, in nuclear uh, capabilities within the country of Iran, nobody at the table seemed to ask the question, so what would be the reaction of the Sunnis to a Shiite nuclear facility? And it, it never seemed to come to anybody's... I never heard a word about it. And, and it seemed to me that if you don't understand what the ramifications are of your decisions on a much greater number of people, uh, you're not really uh, negotiating in an appropriate way. And so what's happened, the Saudis have basically said that if the agreement is signed and approved, which it has been, 15-0 in the UN, we will acquire nuclear weapons. And they're going to go to the Costco warehouse in, in uh, Pakistan, a nuclear warehouse, and they're going to be shopping for weapons. So in a very short period of time, Saudi Arabia and Egypt and Jordan and Kuwait, some of the other smaller Sunni nations, will become nuclear uh, armed, and we're going to create a situation where we've got this enormous tension in the Middle East over nuclear proliferation. And it wasn't ever on the table what would be the reaction. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction and it didn't appear that they gave any credence whatsoever of what the reaction was going to be to the Sunni side of the religion. And, and you know, it wouldn't surprise me if, if not all the I's or all the T's were crossed and dotted. Um, I know sometimes, or at least what I'd imagine is there are pros and cons in, in every situation. Mm -hmm. And it sounds to me, at least when I'm listening to... Um, there are arguments before the floor as well as people's commentary. But I feel like the weight came more on the weapons than it did come on, I guess, the reactions, like you're saying. And, and, mm -hmm. and so I don't know if they decided, well, this is more important, and so we're going to sacrifice one in order to, to solve the other problem. And, and like you said, I mean, if, if that was the case, we're definitely going to see some backlash, and, and all we can do, at least to some degree, is, is hope that, if they hadn't done something, the backlash would have been worse. But, um, right. but yeah, I mean, it, it does seem to some degree that at least a lot of these decisions, because, I mean, even outside of this, I mean, there have been other decisions that this administration has done and other administrations have done, and you wonder, okay, did you at least prepare the backlash and have an answer once that happens so that, you know, yeah. you, you don't find yourself in, in a position to where we can't defend or can't react when the reaction comes. Uh, and so yeah. I, mean, I guess the in that case, thing, only time with that. Right. The other thing that, that bothered me about this agreement that wasn't discussed, it just appeared in the final draft of the document, is that this, this document, at least as long as Obama is president, if any nation or insurgency tries to attack Iran, the P5 plus one are responsible for the defense of Iran. Mm -hmm. 
So if Israel would decide that they want to take out a reactor or whatever for their own protection, we're obligated to go and destroy Israel. Why would we that's do that? That's in there because that's interesting that that's in there because that does make that thin line between that treaty and that. Uh, because I mean, when you start trying to um, mandate how we use our military, that does sound more like the level of it. So, um, so I don't, I'm wondering as to whether Obama um, intended to have to expect that power, and if it got to been on. We're gonna have to uh, we're gonna have to take a break. Uh, I appreciate you joining us, Sonia. Thanks for being on with us today. I uh, I I definitely want to get you back when we have a little bit more a little bit more time to chat with you. Um, but thank you for being with us today. We're gonna take a quick time out here, and when we come back, we've got more coming up with Incredible Dan Perkins here on the world famous Chicky Jake. We were soldiers An amazing, amazing. Basic book. Check out WeWereSoldiers2.com. That book is flying off the shelves. It is a bestseller all over the country. Check out their website and pick up a copy of the book, WeWereSoldiers2.com. Check out WeWereSoldiers2.com. We're going to spell it for you. W-E-W-E-R-E-S-O-L-D-I-E-R-S. T-O-O.com. We were soldiers too.com. And uh, tell them you heard about it here on Transmedia Worldwide. On today's Creation Moments Minute, we'll examine a remarkable dinosaur bone that couldn't have been more than 10,000 years old. Up next. On today's Creation Moments Minute, we examine a remarkable dinosaur bone that couldn't have been more than 10,000 years old. In 1993, Science Research News reported graduate student Mary Schweitzer's reaction when examining a slice of 65-million-year-old T-Rex bone from Montana using the electron microscope. I got goosebumps, she said. It was exactly like looking at a slice of modern bone. How could blood cells survive that long, she added. To compound the problem, strands of DNA were later identified within the blood. What does this mean? Firstly, from the known rate at which the DNA structure breaks down under natural radioactivity, the cells were clearly less than 10,000 years old. Secondly, this is not an isolated case, and a major argument is now brewing behind the cloistered walls of academia. This is further mounting evidence against evolution. For CreationMomentsMinute.com, I'm Darren Marlar. The Jiggy Jaguar radio program is back on the network. Back here on our big broadcast, 28 minutes after the hour. We've got best-selling author Dan Perkins with us today from TheHill.com. And, of course, uh, Donald Mazzala is on assignment. He said he couldn't join us today, but he'll be back with us next week. Next week, we're going to be having um, an, an interesting guest on our panel discussion, Isolyn Smith, who has written a political book about um, the fact that we should just elect people based upon reality shows. She's written an interesting novel about a reality show picking the president uh, upcoming, so it'll be very interesting talking with her next week. Also tomorrow, um, it is our last Wednesday of the month, which means... Dan is up to talk to IQ Rizzoli tomorrow, <laughs> and uh, last couple weeks IQ's had some interesting, um, interesting people. He talked with Scott Smith, as you know, a few weeks ago, folks, and uh, it did not go well for Scott. He was preaching the fact that uh, the Muslims are misunderstood, they're a peaceful religion, <laughs> all these things. So uh, if you miss that, it's on iHeartRadio. Download the iHeartRadio app and uh, look that up. But Dan, uh, we were talking in the last segment with Sonia about the uh, situation uh, regarding the, um, the, the this Iran deal. Um, 
I want to pick up in this segment and, and kind of get your thoughts on the situation with Hillary, because it seems like the Hillary Clinton campaign is not going well. And Frank Bernuccio uh, suggested in our first hour uh, today that at some point the Democrats might dump her or think about dumping her. My question is, who are they going to dump her for? <laughs> well, I, I, I have an answer for you. Uh-oh. And that is the, the rumor on the street. The rumor on the street is that Congress has 60 days to affirm or deny the uh, the treaty, the agreement, not treaty. Yes. And so the feeling is that the president has it in his pocket because there aren't enough senators to override a presidential veto. 60, 66 to override the veto. Okay. Now... Until the Congress does their initial vote, we won't know for sure. But the the scenario is that uh, after the Congress votes, and they believe that the president's going to get what he wants in terms of this agree support for this agreement. You ready for this? <laughs> Who do you got? John Kerry is going to resign as Secretary of State. Oh, my God. Okay, go and, ahead. And, and he will be awarded the Nobel Peace Prize for his work in the Iran settlement. And he will run for president in lieu of Hillary. Wow. That's who they got. <laughs> wow. So the belief is that if he gets the Nobel Peace Prize, It'll be a big lift for him, and um, she won't get it. He'll get it, and he, she will be damaged goods, and they'll dump her again in lieu of Kerry for, so he can run for president. Uh, unfortunately, if that happens, he won't win. Holy smokes. Either, but, but. So the, the idea that uh, Bernie Sanders or... Al Gore, which I talked to you about on this show months and months ago, uh, starting uh, some exploratory opportunities. Um, Pocahontas is not going to run. And um, and so you've got this situation that they've come up with a solution of if, if Hillary is damaged goods, and the damaged goods will probably come out as a, again, she made a, I believe she made a terrible decision. Uh, Trey Gowdy gave her the opportunity to test be testify before the House Select Committee on Benghazi in private. And she decided she wanted to testify in public. Um, that's a very high-risk maneuver. And know, knowing her propensity to explode and knowing that Mr. Gowdy is a superb prosecuting attorney, uh, she may have made a horrendous mistake. So she becomes, she comes out of that, and I think that's in October. Yeah. She comes, she comes out of that situation uh, as really damaged, unelectable goods. In comes Mr. Kerry. So John Kerry is going to take another shot at this whole thing. <laughs> mm -hmm. he, wow. At and so Hillary's going on the bus again. So why 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 wouldn't they run anybody else but Carrie? That's that that's my thing. Well, your question was who do they got? Yeah. Who's on the bench? Yeah. Uh, Uncle Joe, you're really going to run Joe Biden? I know they they're raising some money <laughs> no. for the oratory committee, but no. Uncle Joe. <laughs> yeah, there's there's so. no way. See, I I've often said on this program we 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 uh we nicknamed him worst to first because he he went from being the first guy when Obama was was running for president the very first time. He was the first guy to announce, he was the first guy to leave, and at the end of this whole thing, he's the vice president. It's like how does that happen? That is the right. craziest thing. But he was the only one that was coming in in the Obama administration who had any experience dealing with Congress. Yes. He desperately needed him. So there are some people who say that he has been the most involved and active, especially in foreign policy, vice president since Dick Cheney. Yeah. He's very involved. So 
But, but is he electable the presidency? I don't think so. I don't think so. So the, the, the interesting story that's evolving today is uh, the subplot of Donald Trump. The subplot of Donald Trump is uh, our friend, Mr. Huckabee. Yes. Now, now the reason why that's a subplot, what happened here that Mr. Trump has basically started his campaign by saying from his heart what millions upon millions of Americans believe but have been afraid to say. So when he talked about the Mexicans coming across the border and the rapists and the murderers and the illegals, the liberal media and the Democratic Party said goodbye to Donald. He'll never survive that. Well, he did. And he got stronger and he got more popular. Then he went after McCain. And everybody said, it's a kiss of death. McCain is an icon. Well, what they found out, the liberal press found out, when Donald Trump went after McCain, he's, he may be an icon, but he's a false icon. So what happened was, as Trump took on the media, the liberal mainstream media, pro-democratic, took on the media and put them in their place, they were shocked. This is not the way it's supposed to work. We're Democrats. You're supposed to capitulate. You're supposed to apologize and disappear. <laughs> You're supposed to apologize, apologize and disappear. Apologize and dis- See, this th- this and is so something that I don't understand, and, and I don't mean to get off track on this, Dan, but the question that I've always had, and it's fairly recent, is the fact that why is it that when you say something, you have to do that? You have to come out and apologize, and then you have to be rubbed out. I, I do not understand how we got to that point in this country. We got we got to that point because we 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 capitulated the power to the to the to the the left press and the democratic strategy of attacking attacking the integrity the impunity the reputation of states because the the need was to destroy them and drive them out of the race get rid of them anybody who is perceived to be a threat. In the past, yeah. I mean, let me give you an example. Do you remember when John McCain was running against Barack Obama? Yeah. Do you remember all the restrictions that were put that he put on people of what they couldn't say about Barack Obama? Yep. Because they didn't want to offend the black candidate, as opposed to realizing that he was a candidate first and black second. Yeah. So Romney in the debates, had a great opportunity to put him away. Did he put him away? No. And so what's happening with Trump is that he's changed the paradigm. And he's changed the paradigm, and now Huckabee said that this treaty is driving, will drive the, the, uh, the Jewish people in the state of Israel to the ovens. And the media is enraged but Huckabee doubled down this morning, and no, and he's not getting out of the race. And in fact, there were people who are encouraged that, by God, is it possible that Huckabee has a backbone? And so, what's happening is this is the Trump effect. The Trump effect is that the can the candidates are developing backbones, and they are attacking. And when the the liberal right tries to attack them to destroy their name and their integrity, they fight back, and they're not supposed to do that, because that's not the way it's supposed to be done in America. Democrats are supposed to be in power, and the Republicans always have to apologize and then leave. <laughs> and this time around, yeah, I just... And this, I've never but, understood that. 
I just don't understand no, why you're supposed to apologize and leave. And it and it's that way. It's been that way for the longest time. If and it doesn't matter. Like for instance, uh, and and this this isn't really politics, but uh, this thing with Hulk Hogan last week. He did something five years ago. He said something on a tape that. It wasn't even supposed to get released. He apol- he was supposed to he was supposed to apologize and then disappear. Donald Sterling, the guy that w- owned the Clippers, apologize and then get the hell out of here. I don't understand this whole thing of you have to apologize and then you just go away. <laughs> it's 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 called Jim. It's called political correctness gone. <laughs> Apparently. And the one thing about Trump is that, yeah, he he, he didn't go away. <laughs> no, he, so. he hasn't gone away, and he's, he's now has a follower. Um, and and I think if you look at Charlie, if you look at Scott Walker and Ted Cruz, they're from a similar mold. They're not taking any crap from the, from the, uh, uh, the Daily Surge. Which is a left-wing uh, blog to, I shouldn't say similar to, that tries to look like where I write at thehill.com. Yeah, they did. They ran this story that, that Trump rump, uh, raped his wife. <laughs> yes, and, I think uh, that is just the stupidest news story. <laughs> right, and so what happened was that Ivana came out and went after the reporter of 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 lying and accusing him of misrepresentation. Then Trump's attorney came out and just went bonkers on him. And the guy said, the reporter said, it's not supposed to be this way. They're supposed to capitulate and apologize and leave. And so he couldn't believe the barrage that he, Trump and, and Trump's former wife and Trump's attorney. They just buried this guy, and nobody now wants anything to do with it. So uh, they understand the the the, the, the str- up until we came out yesterday or Sunday, excuse me. The feeling was that Donald, nobody was taking Donald seriously, and and the problem was that they they should have been and should be and, sh- and should be because he's not beholden to any special interest group, no source of funding, no political action committee, and no lobbyist. He's his own man. And so I thought it was amazing that Huck, who desperately needs the public funds and the donors and everybody else in order to try and have any kind of a campaign, would be as aggressive in attacking the, the, the agreement as he was and so uh, wonderfully descriptive about what it is the Iranians. And the Iranian, he's not saying anything that the Ayatollah hasn't said uh, in the past. And I thought it was amazing that here we have it. The, the, the agreement is two weeks old. The Iranians violated the agreement on Saturday, where they refused to let the IEA inspectors in looking at the uh, at some of the the facilities. And yesterday morning, the Ayatollah. Yesterday morning, the Ayatollah, the number one guy who is all the power in the country of Iran. A photo of an image of Obama with a gun to his head, committing suicide. <laughs> wow! I mean, what, <laughs> wow! What are we? What are we? Nego- who did we negotiate with here? I mean, the idea that that within three days after they come to terms, the Ayatollah is Ayatollah is preaching in the mosque, death to America, death to America. Uh, supposedly, Kerry warned him and suggested he not say that, but that shows you how much influence Kerry had over <laughs> Atola. Yes, I mean, this, this is this is a situation where um, it is a bad deal for our country. We're going to give his country, the Ayatollah's country, is going to get in cash about 150 billion dollars, which equates to approximately 45 percent of the total gross national product currently of the country of Iran. And cash. What's he going to do with it? He's not going to give everybody a raise. He's not up to a $50 an hour minimum wage in the country of Iran. He's going to use it to buy arms. And he's under the treaty, he has the right to buy and sell arms immediately. So what did we do? 
Do we give Obama a legacy? <laughs> yeah. yeah, what did we do not there? If it's not, worth the, not if it's not worth the paper it's printed on, because it, it, it's not an obligation of future administrations. Yeah. So, just, just a major screw-up. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to do okay. one last segment here with Dan. And lots of stuff coming up. Dan Perkins. Check him out on thehill.com. We're going to take a time out and come back with more. Dan the Man here at the World Famous. Back here on iHeartRadio, also 50 plus AM FM stations across the country and around the world. Good friends at TuneIn, iTunes, and Radio Loyalty. Check out our website, JiggyJaguar.com, right under the... Uh, We've got all sorts of different things going on over there. Podcast. We've got our uh, conversations with uh, Dan Perkins, Donald Mazzella. We've got all sorts of different things going on over there at JiggyJaguar.com. We just posted our interview from earlier today with Preston Rendell on his book, Room Full of Killers. And uh, we've also got our Tuesday roundtables over there with Mazzella and Perkins. Now, Dan, uh, tomorrow we're going to be... Speaking with IQ about all the different things going on uh, in the uh, Middle East. But uh, one final segment here. What is the most important thing that people need to know on this Tuesday? Um, wow. That's a good one. That's <laughs> a, you yes. You really put me on the spot. <laughs> Didn't mean to. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Um, I enjoy being put on the spot. Um, we talked about the, the treaty that isn't a treaty. We <laughs> talked about Huckabee. We talked about Trump. Um, talked about Hillary about and the fact that she, about Hillary and yeah, she just can't employee. seem to get it going. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so let, let me, let me tell you, um, I'm going to give you, uh, an advanced look of what's coming down the road. Okay. Uh, I did a piece on the Hill.com about a month ago concerning Greece. Yes. And the and the, gist, the gist of the story, which you put on here, I think your website too. Yep. Yep. I, the gist of the story was that the reason why uh, Greece got into trouble is that its debt to GDP ratio, meaning how much money they own to how much money they make was 177%. Now that means that they were spending 77% more than what the economy could produce. So by spending more, they had to borrow money to pay the bills. Something like what we're doing, uh, not quite as bad as Greece, but under Obama we've gone from 75% to about 103%. And I don't know what it will be when he leaves office, but something greater than that. Okay? Now, there is a country in the world whose gross domestic product, the value of all products and services produced in that country, is dwarfed by their debt by 240%. And that country is China. Wow. The GDP to debt ratio in China is 240% debt to GDP. Now, the Chinese market is off approximately 40% in the last four weeks. The real estate market has collapsed. Chinese government has no clue of who to try and stop the stock markets from falling like crazy. Yeah. And so at some point in time, the economic turmoil that is infecting the largest economy in the world, who, who is laden with enormous amounts of debt, internally financed, is going to see major defaults and collapses in their credit markets. And the world cannot escape what that will mean. We are the largest, the the Chinese are the largest trading partner for the most, for the majority of nations throughout the world. 
They are our, one of our largest trading partners. We depend a great deal on products that come out of China into our economy. We have many corporations that have moved their manufacturing capabilities to China because of the lower price. I believe with what's going on in China, if the government doesn't get a handle on this soon, it's going to make 2007, 2008 in the United States the Great Recession, yes. the second Great Recession, look small by comparison. And yeah. um, you've got you're still in quantitative easing, so its economies are not growing. They've got a huge, huge problem in Europe of how do they allocate the refugees that are pouring over the southern border of Europe into Italy and into Spain and into Greece. Thousands, tens of thousands of people, over 250,000 people so far this year have crossed the borders into Europe as refugees looking for a place to go to. The European Union does not have the resources to handle. Uh, Germany has now 300,000 refugees. Yeah. These countries do not have the ability to take on into a welfare state, hundreds of thousands of additional people. Now, I, I wrote about Greece is followed by Italy, Portugal, and Ireland, followed behind by France and Spain. And so these countries are going to find themselves in, in huge uh, contractions of their economy and their resources because they've got to do something with with these tens of thousands, they're talking about an allocation, Jim, of 43,000 people per year, each of the 26 nation members of the Euro, the European Union. Wow. And 43,000, you know, there's 26 nations in, in the European Union. Look at what's happening to the hundreds of thousands of immigrants that are coming across the border and what it's done to our country and 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 it's really a very difficult time to deal with immigration on a global basis because people yes. are moving you know we, we some reporters refer to those people who are coming across the border illegally as migrants <laughs> yes, I'm not so, sure why, because a lot of these people that are coming across that border are not migrants. Right, well, but they, they, they don't want to call them illegal aliens, so they call them migrants. More politically correct, <laughs> call them migrants. And so, so with that, that, that's a piece that is intellectually interesting. Uh, but the thing that I think that we as a nation... The story that's coming out right now that we need to be very, very concerned about is that yesterday the Congress refused, Mitch McConnell refused an amendment to the transportation bill to address the 275 sanctuary cities in the United States. Wow. And states. And we have a young woman who was killed in San Francisco who is who is simply just a surrogate for the tens of thousands of Americans who've been murdered or raped by illegals coming across the border and being deported and coming back. This woman, this beautiful young woman, was murdered on the docks of San Francisco, walking with her father, by a convicted felon who was convicted. The seven felonies was deported five times and knew that if he came to San Francisco, a sanctuary city, they wouldn't bother him. They wouldn't yeah. turn him over to the feds. When you have 23 cities and states declaring that they're not going to be bound by the Constitution, then you have anarchy, and that's what's going on. Then you take, 
take it one step further to say, you know, how can we talk about the, uh, the, the, the agreement taking the Jews to the, to the oven? Planned Parenthood is harvesting the hearts, the lungs, the kidneys of unborn fetuses to sell and doesn't see any problem with it. Yeah. How close are we becoming? How close are we becoming as a world the way it was when Hitler was in charge? You make an excellent point. <laughs> Good Lord. You uh you you wrap that up uh fantastically. We've got Dan Perkins with us today. He joins us live uh from the hill.com and uh tomorrow Dan we're going to be speaking with IQ Al Rizzoli. Um what what, what do you have kind of give us a preview of what you what you're going to ask IQ tomorrow. Well, I when I talked to him before, I asked him if we were going to get a treaty and he thought we would get a treaty or excuse me, an agreement. I want to I want to get a sense of what the rest of the the Sunni nations in the Middle East are saying um, about uh, what's going on now that the the agreement is in place and and what's going to happen. How how are things changing? Has he heard anything? Whether Saudi Arabia is getting weapons or making arrangements to get weapons? And uh, I want to find out if he has any in, intelligence on the escalation of hostilities that are taking place in the Middle East, what's going on because of the result of this agreement. Well, that will be an interesting conversation. Uh, before we let you go, Dan, uh, how do they get a hold of you if they want to pick up the books? The books you can get at Amazon.com. All three are out. Yep. Um, the book website is danperkins.guru, and the foundation is songs and stories for soldiers and uh please go there and and look about what we're doing to try to help soldiers um i do uh is this the last hour of the show uh yes yes this uh we're we're gonna be going off the air here in about two minutes my friend okay how soon can i call you uh you call me about call me about 15 minutes that'll work okay i'll do it well that'll work i will talk to you tomorrow my friend thank you Thank you for having me on. Definitely. Definitely. We'll talk tomorrow. My friend Dan Perkins joins us live. We're going to take a timeout. And when we come back, we've got more coming up. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.